Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a whole new episode of Full Seam Ahead. I'm your host, Zoe. My partner in crime over there on the other side is Angel. What up, what up? It was a good, I mean, a good series against the Los Angeles Angels. The Astros took care of business, and it was the Stroh time in Anaheim, I'd say, because, I mean, Shohei Otani, it's it's the show time. I thought it'd be cool to say it like that, but... Hey, Framber Valdez pitched a good game against Shohei Otani. It was a very pitcher's dual matchup for both um, starting pitchers. And then on the other side with Christian Javier, Hunter Brown didn't have his stuff at the moment, but, you know, ends up with the Astro Series win over there in Anaheim and Disneyland, Mickey Mouse World, whatever you want to call it, in the West Coast of California. So, Angel, you already know I'm going to ask you, give me that first word or how many other other words you want to give me to describe this series? I would say relieved. Like, the Astros had lost back-to-back series, and we had kind of a losing streak going. But now we're back in the win column. Sorry, the Astros are back in the win column. They are three and a half games back from first place. Um, they're still in third place. The Angels have 20 wins. Astros have 19 wins. So they get that step closer to that first place in the division. So it's good to it's good to it's good that the Astros are back in the win column for sure. And hopefully they can win another series. Yeah, it's good that they did get into the win column. Like you said, now they're over 500. Uh, They dropped that first game to the Angels and they were under 500. But now they're back with a 1918 record. Some discomfort news, I guess you could say, for the Astros. We'll give you some of the updates throughout the organization later on. And then we'll look around the league, the preview, of course, against the Chicago White Sox as well. But, Angel, let's start it off right there. You already know what we do. We do our shout-outs of this shout series. Out. Yep, give us the first two you got. So, shout-out to our pitching staff for sure. Starting off with the Battle of the Aces, Framber Valdez versus Shohei Otani. I feel like every time Otani comes up to pitch, the media is like, that's a for sure win for the Angels. But Framber Valdez says, hold my beer. He went eight innings pitched, three hits, one run, no walks, and 12 strikeouts. He had a great mix of pitches. He threw 32% stinkers, 30% curveballs, 28% cutters, and 9% changeups. This was his seventh consecutive quality start. And an interesting thing that he did, and something you know that really deserves a shout-out, is the top three hitters of the batting order, which is Taylor Ward, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani went one for 10 with four strikeouts. Like he really shut them down and that angels offense relies on them. Like if Trout, Otani or Ward aren't on, on, on under a game, it's, it's kind of hard for that offense to pick it up. I mean, Hunter Renfro had a good series, but for the most part, it wasn't enough or, if the, or Trout or Otani don't contribute. They, they really can't get anything going. And moving on, Christian Javier, was had another great performance. Six innings pitch, three hits, two earned runs, one walk, eleven strikeouts. He relied heavy on his fastball. I think that's. I think everybody knows that on Javier for sure. Like, yeah, yeah Mattel going to be a fastball uh, type of pitcher. He threw fifty-seven fastballs, which is sixty-one percent, and thirty-two sliders at thirty-four percent. Two changeups and two knuckle curves. He had thirty swings on the fastball, seventeen whiffs. So. He's getting them. I mean, he's catching them off guard with that fastball. Mm-hmm. I mean, like throwing them high. He had 16 swings on the slider and seven whiffs. And top three of the batting order again: Ward, Trout, and Otani. 0 for nine. 
seven strikeouts. And here's another interesting note per China Rome. Since 2021, Mike Trout is 14 for 70, which is a 200 batting average with 29 strikeouts against the Astros. So I know everybody knows Mike Trout is this great player, but even Superman has a kryptonite, and my, the Astros are Mike Trout's kryptonite. But I have a question for you. Do you think either Christian Javier or Framber Valdez can be a Cy Young worthy or like top five, top three? Like, who's your guy? I mean, if I'm going to pick, I, I'll go Framber Valdez. Uh, he already did that. He solidified himself in the Cy Young voting last year, being in the top five. I think he could be really in at least top three, I would say, this year. Uh, seven quality starts already. Uh, it was a bumpy road so far. I mean, like I said, the last episode, his record was two and four. That is shocking with a two with a sub two ERA, like two with a mid two ERA, two, six, four. I mean, last time I think he could be the guy to be a serious contender in the side young racing in the AL. Uh, we'll talk about Dylan season in a minute. He was a big guy. Alec Manoa was another guy, but them two right now have fallen off the wagon, which is big. Justin Verlander's barely coming into pitch for the Mets. I think he's a great candidate. I think Luis Castillo is going to give him a run for his money. Even Shohei Otani, I think. Gary Cole. Gary Cole's another one. Yeah, I think them guys are going to give him a run for his money. But I think, too, at the same time, Framber has been really pitched really well this season so far. It's just like you were saying last episode. It's just the offense was not there to show. But, like, the stats that you were reading, I mean, the top three of the order, Taylor Ward, uh, Mike Trout, like I was telling you, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Same thing as Shohei Otani. Whenever their Hall of Fame can, uh, candidacy comes into play, they'll be first ballots automatically. And what Christian Javier and Framber Valdez did this series, they were basically combined with them too, one for 19 with 11 strikeouts. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, so I, if I had to pick one of the guys, I'd, I'd say I'd say Framber Valdez. And something interesting and something that I like, that he did this year's at is that addition of throwing the sinker more it like it's keeping the guys honest because i feel at this point in time in the season where like the where the opponents are just thinking curveball and mm-hmm. now with that sinker you know he's kind of like he's making it harder to guess what he's gonna throw and i think that's part of his success this year yeah another thing too real quick to add on with the i mean he threw a lot of cutters that game in against the angels it was a i believe it was more than the sinker i could be wrong like i said i mean you had the stats right there uh he threw 32 percent sinkers 28 percent cutters so yeah it was almost almost around that range mm-hmm. but i mean the cutter was working for him and then plus two not a lot of pitchers could get that ground ball in a huge situation like framber i feel like framber whenever he needs a big ground ball to get out of an inning or get out of a jam I mean, he's the number one guy. I mean, Major League Baseball, I believe he leaves, uh, he leads in ground balls with a weak contact. So I think Framber Valdez has a great, great chance. Um, another opportunity, too, to be in that All-Star game in Seattle as well. Yeah. So you already did two starting pitchers. Well, let me get some hitters on the board. My first shout-out, Jordan Alvarez. I mean, this guy, of course, he's going to be a shout-out or he's going to be an offensive MVP some way. So he's going to show his – Name on the board any way he can. Four for 12, bad 300 this series with a home run, three RBIs. He had that home run in last game's, yesterday's game. He's always clutch with runners on in scoring position. I believe it's like, what, a 400, 500 batting average when there's guys and runners in scoring position. I mean, that's that's what you need from a 
four hole hitter, when a cleanup hitter like him, especially. But as of right now, I, um, you know, from yesterday's game, we'll see if the Astros announce with Mauricio Dubon's injury. Hopefully, it's nothing serious to him. But we saw Jordan Alvarez actually in the three hole yesterday compared to his leadoff role. And then my next shout out is going to be Alex Bregman. I had him as my offensive MVPs last series. Did not go as planned, but he changed it up this series. And if you did see something different in his stance or even in his hands, the hand placement where his bat was, it was next to his shoulder more than next to his ear. And that was a big difference maker really in this series for Alex Bergman, trying to get everything any way possible to get on base or even try to find his swing because he's ran into some bad luck throughout really in the beginning of the season. You've talked about it. He's hit the ball pretty hard in the gaps, but I mean, some way, somehow it just stays up and holds on for an outfielder or an infielder to catch it. He had two hits in the first two games. So multi-hit games back to back, which is pretty good because we haven't seen the Alex Bregman multi-hit game since I believe the Tampa Bay race series, which was the last uh, road trip that they did. He was four for 12 with the 300 batting average with an RBI that would have worked for my last <laughs> hot take, but it didn't. But another thing too, I mean, we can't pull the ball all the time. So what does he do? He took the ball to the other side of the field, had great opposite field hits. He even had a triple in one of the games. I think that was his first triple since, uh, 2021 or 2020 had Chandler Rome had said on one of his tweets. So shout out to Chandler Rome as well, since we're reading off of these stats, some of them coming from him. But overall, I, I think the guys looked really good at the plate. Uh, the Astros took care of business on this side of the Pacific. Well, even the West Coast, really, because you went to Seattle, you dropped a series, you came back into Anaheim in California, and you took a series from there. So uh, overall, I think the Astros did a good job. They look better at the plate, even pitching-wise. We'll, we'll talk about the preview in a minute. But, Angel, I believe you have some injury updates where you wanted to notify the fans. Yes, but before we do that, this was kind of our um, – if you heard our, our podcast last week, that's basically what we preached. Give Jordan Alvarez those run-scoring opportunities and good things will happen. That's what – Exactly happened. Like you said, Bregman coming in clutch, getting on base. Marisha Dubon, I know he got hurt, but in those first two games, he had a hit, and which led to run. So give your run opportunities, and we'll win more games. But moving on to injury updates, I feel like that coming into this series in Anaheim, Astros fans had high hopes. We're going to get – well, they were going to get Michael Brantley back. They were going to get Chas McCormick back, and then things just like – Escalated out of just out did of, not like, happen. Diffused, yeah. right? It just didn't mm-hmm. happen. One big one is Michael Brantley. I feel like everybody expected him to be back the series. He was having a rehab assignment. had had pretty good games in Sugarland. Um, was hitting the ball off fields, and then Ashes kind of made it believe that he will be activated this series. You know, he said he, he's just. He, he, they said that he's one game off from Chas McCormick. But after not being activated the first two games, he was sent back to Houston for testing, which kind of skirt the feathers over there in the Astros nation. And people started asking questions like, well, is it a setback? What's going on? You know, and according to China Rome, Dusty stated it wasn't a setback. He is just not ready. Dusty Baker said he's more sore, um, more sore than usual because he played a lot. And Baker hopes he'll be ready to rejoin them in Chicago. Like, 
I feel like the Astros are kind of secretive when it comes to injuries, and they're not very transparent when it comes to that. Because, I mean, like discomfort is just the he, biggest word too, as well that they use. Exactly, and I mean, I get that he's sore, but like he, it sent him all the way to Houston to get checked out, and then he, like, I mean, that's the whole point of rehab assignment to get back into the field group. But I guess they kind of pushed him, which. Speaking of speaking of being pushed, you think um, Chas McCormick came back? He was one of the ones that did come back, and he was out yesterday with a sore back. The reason he was out in the first place was because he hurt his back working out. So, do you think Chas was rushed, and now the Astros are just being precautious with Bradley, or what do you think the mindset behind this? Well, for Michael Bradley, um, I, I believe he played nine straight games with Sugarland. I think off days would have been good. I thought those off days would have been in Anaheim for him and the Astros, but sending him back, I don't know if they never confirmed where they had sent him. They could have sent him really in Chicago or, uh, to get tested. They could have sent him, like you said, in Houston. We don't know. No one knows. The Even the reporters, I believe, were trying to get the trainer to answer some of these questions to figure out, hey, well, where did the Astros send Michael Bradley or how's Michael Bradley progressing? Things like that. And the other thing, too, he didn't even swing a bat, I believe, in the second or third game. You know how, you know, you take your batting practice on the field. Uh, the first game, I believe he did. But the second and third game, obviously, he didn't the third game because he had to go travel. Chaz McCormick, on the other hand, um, I don't think he was rushed. I really don't think he was rushed. It's just that back sometimes, I believe it just tines up on you. I mean, he was dealing. The first injury from him was his eyesight. His eyesight wasn't 100%. He told Gary Pettis, he told Dusty Baker, hey, I'm, you know, my vision ain't doing too good. I want to get off the field for precautions. That happened. Goes into practice to, you know, start getting, the, you know, fill things again, start progressing back to be able to play with the Astros again. And then he had that back issue. I don't think it was a rush. It's just something that, you know, it's the body. No, I don't think he's rushed back. It's just it happens. It just happened at the wrong time. I, I you know, kind of got my eye too because I was like, okay, well, the second game we're going to probably see, the Astros are probably going to see like Jake Myers in center and either Chas McCormick in left or right to give Tucker a break or Alvarez a break, one of those. And the same thing for the next day. And obviously it did not happen. So at the end of my, you know, my opinion, I, I don't think it's rushed back. It's just, it happens. It's, it's, it's your health. It's your health overall. I don't think it was rushed. Yeah. Better safe than sorry, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like that that chart is, is getting kind of thin for the Astros, especially with Marisa Dubon is nursing a hamstring injury. According to Brian Tiger, Dubon said his injury is nothing serious and he won't go to the aisle. So right now he's day to day. It'll be interesting when we'll see him, uh, when the Astros will put him back in the lineup. Maybe the first game, second game. I'm, with my estimate, they have a uh, day off Thursday, I believe. So Friday would be a good chance to see Devon get some rest on that hamstring. And then with Jose Abreu. So Dusty Baker believes that Jose Abreu is hiding an injury. He played the first 36 games without receiving a day off. And then just yesterday, he received his first day off when, um, who was playing Yanya. first? Oh, Yanir Diaz was playing first base. Now, with all these injuries, like, and then the bench guys having to take up a bigger role, the only reserve that the Astros have is Cesar Salazar. Do you think the Astros need to make a move to add Devchar, maybe add a veteran, or 
or maybe call up somebody. But what do you think is going to happen? Well, right now I'm looking at the free agents that you know that's still available. I mean, I'm still looking at it right now, trying to figure it out. But you know, maybe to get a Joe Perez, I would say it could be one to you know bring up. I wouldn't mind seeing him. I mean, Cesar Salazar is a utility player too. People forget. He has taken some ground balls at second. He's taken some ground balls at short with Pena, third as well with Bregman and uh, Hensley. So uh, if to answer your question, I feel like, yeah, they might need to look for somebody else. Ryland Bannon, on the other hand, I don't feel like he's the guy because I, I do I did like seeing Yiner Diaz at first. I'm not going to yeah. lie about that. I thought that was really good for the Astros to do. I, honestly, they should have done that to begin with to give a break some days because we were talking about last time. Uh, Abreu doesn't look right at the plate. I don't know. I mean, he even when he's low and he starts already, you know, swinging, he's, his chase rate, I believe, is already up too. His strikeout rate as well. Uh, WRC plus isn't the same for him like people had thought. But, I mean, it, it was a good job on the Astros' part to give him a day off yesterday. He gets an extra day off on Thursday, like you said, since the Astros have a day off. And then Friday, I'm... I'm pretty sure that Dusty's going to put him back at the lineup. Of course, too, you know, you got to remember this guy played with the Chicago White Sox for nine years. Um, but in my opinion, I, I feel like, yeah, maybe you should, you know, maybe look at the farm system. Right now I'm about to check with the free agents. Um, but my, my first person I would think, I wouldn't even put Pedro Leon yet. I'd say Joe Perez um, in Tripoy. Or uh, I don't, I don't know if you wanted to add in. No, I mean, Jake Durden's an outfit. I think he's been really swinging it, but that would make that wouldn't make sense because we have like a lot of outfield death right now. But yeah, I feel like infield is what we need. So I think it just gives Hensley more playing time as of right now. Like we did see him in third base. Um, it gave Alex Bregman, you know, an opportunity to be DH and he had a home run. I mean, so if he can pick up the bat, I think the Ash should be just fine. Yeah, because I mean, there's it's really thin in the free agent market right now. Um, one of my choices from the offseason was Jerks and Profar, of course, because he could play outfield, he could play infield, he can even play some first base. But Astros didn't go that route, we understand, we know why. But at the end of the day, the guys just got to get uh, the Astros just got to get healthier and you know, just hope for the best. Jose Altuve is already looking good too. We didn't even mention that, that oh, he's yeah. taking some swings and. Sugarland, so that that's a good start for him. Hopefully, they don't rush him. If they're saying, apparently, they're saying that they're they may have rushed Chaz and Michael. That's the last person we need to rush right now is Jose Altuve to get ready. Uh, get ready because we still have over a hundred games left in this season, and for multiple injuries, we already have Luis Garcia out. We have Jose Arquiti shut down to the All Star break. Um, Lance McCullers is still throwing bullpens to get back on track. If you're a Nationals fan, you're—I mean—it's not ready to hit the panic button, but you know, Breg- Bregman's starting to try to find the groove of things again. Brayu hasn't been the guy that everybody thought. Right now, our offense, right now, to be honest, the Nationals' offense right now is Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. I mean, am I wrong or no? Pretty accurate. Yeah. So. Uh, it's just health right now. And if the Astros could get healthy, you could see them probably get into first place before the All-Star break, I'd say. But enough with the injury updates and the sad sorrows of all that stuff. Let's preview the White Sox matchup. And 
Chicago White Sox have not been good. The first time we saw them, of course, was in championship weekend when the Astros received their rings and, you know, the championship banner had revealed in left field. They went two and two in that series. And the White Sox, like I said, they have not been doing good. 13 and 24 is their record. They're fourth in the AL Central, third worst record in the American League. Uh, the Athletics is being first, and then the second one is being the Kansas City Royals. However, they're six and four in their last 10 games. So maybe they're finding the group of things. We don't know. But we're going to read you the pitching matchups, of course. And Friday night, we got 7 10 start time, and the Astros pitcher will be JP France with a zero ERA and a zero record versus Michael Kopech, one and three with a 597 ERA. JP France. We all saw the outcome that he had presented in Seattle. It looked very good, very promising for the Astros, even for the front office like Dana Brown and Jim Crane. J.P. Francis, last on, if we did not tell you, five innings pitch, three hits, zero earned runs, one walk, five strikeouts. The thing I really liked about J.P. was in the first inning, he was in a jam. I'm not going to lie to you. He was trying to figure out the things. Of course, you're when you're a rookie and you're debuting in your first game, especially on the road, here you got the nerves. In the first inning, he did have some nerves. Didn't allow no runs at the end, but command and velocity was great after that. I mean, it was just, it was there. The slider was pinpoint. Fastball command was great, and throughout that game, he he did really well. Like I said, five innings pitch, three hits, no runs. That I say that's a great day at the office. Nine three ninety four average of his uh, fastball. Really got a lot of whiffs of his curveball and slider though. So. We could see that coming in against a lineup like the Chicago White Sox. Like we said, their record's not good, but they do got some good hitters. Luis Robert Jr. is one. Andrew Benatendi's another. Andrew Vaughn. Uh, I don't know. If, I'm pretty sure Eloy Jimenez is hitting, but, of course, you never know with him because sometimes he lands on the IL. And on the other side, you got Michael Kopech. His last outing at Cincinnati, he was six innings pitch, eight hits, four earned runs, one walk, two strikeouts. He did not face the Astros in the regular season of this year. But we did have we have seen him in 2022. Excuse me. The Astros have saw uh, seen the Astros have saw him in 2022. Sorry about that. And in them starts, he lost both of the matchups. Fastball average is about 95 plus. If you remember, this guy was a top prospect for the Chicago White Sox. Everybody had high hopes for him, even the front office in Chicago. Has not planned out that way because, of course, he's been dealing with injuries. He had Tommy John. Next thing you know, he had a shoulder injury. Injuries had really plagued his career so far. Hopefully, it doesn't plague this year because he is a really talented pitcher and the White Sox really need him if they're going to want to compete in the Central. Curveball usage. That was an interesting one to me. It has dropped compared to last year. 2022, he had a 10.6% rate of it. And 2023 this year, it's only 6.1%. Yes, we are still in the beginning of the season. Maybe that percentage does go up and match with that 10.6 from last year. But so far, curveball has not been his go-to pitch. And if you're on the other side of this team, like the Astros, you're going to see that the success rate with right-handed batters in the lineup is through the roof. 309 opponent batting average when he faces right-handed batters. So, the Jeremy Peñas, the Jose Abreu's, the Mauricio Dubons, those guys have a great chance of being able to produce in this lineup instead of, you know, Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker, like I had said, and they've been carrying the offensive load. Jeremy Peña did that last game. He had a good two RBI game against the Angels in the in the series finale. 
we'll see. Maybe this does help the Astros get, you know, carry the weight load off of Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. And we don't know, but that is our first matchup of the Chicago White Sox series. The second one's going to be on a Saturday, 6:15 start time. You have Brandon Belak, 0-1 with a 4:15 ERA versus Dylan Cease, 2-2 with a 5:58 ERA. Let me get Belak out the way. Belak is going to give you the innings. He's going to give you some good innings. Um, obviously, he's not that number one starter like Christian Javier or Framber Valdez or Justin Verlander. None like that. He, he's going to give you some decent innings, and that's what he did against San Francisco, and that's what he did against Seattle. Four and two-thirds, ten hits, three runs, two of them being earned, two walks, no strikeouts. So right there, I just read you that stat, four, four and uh, two-thirds. He's going to give you at least five innings, and that's all you can ask for, especially with the Astros' offense that that they have. You know, we, we've already talked about one of the best offenses in baseball. It's going to give you them innings. At the end of the day, the offense is just going to have to come up and produce. And then on the other side, we have Dylan Cease, last outing in KC, five innings pitch, nine hits, seven earned runs, one walk, six strikeouts. If you remember, he was the opening day starter for the White Sox in that first game of the 2023 season, and he dominated against the Astros. Six and a third, two hits, one earned run, no walks, 10 strikeouts. The interesting part of this, he only finished with 86 pitches. 86 pitches. I'm pretty sure he could have finished that seventh inning and got seven innings. Thing that helped him a lot was his slider. 37 sliders, 27 fastballs in that game. And since we're talking about it right now, we're going to see a heavy dosage of those fastball and sliders mix. Slider being his number one pitch being 40.5%. His fastball, on the other hand, is 39.3%. So Astros are going to have to be ready. Shout out to you, Jeremy Pena, because I'm going to be talking about you a lot throughout these times, of course, with these sliders, which he has been doing good against the slider. I'm going to give him credit on that. He has been doing good against the slider. The only thing is his the fastball now. He, he can't reach a lot of swing and misses on the fastball for Jeremy Pena this year compared to the slider. Very interesting stat right there. But Dylan Cease, I mean, we talked about him the last time, and he was a top five Cy Young candidate. I think he was second or third in the Cy Young voting of last second. year. Yeah, second. His first five starts, dominating. Fabulous. Any way you want to describe it. His last four, on the other hand, though, not so good. Only won four innings in both starts against the Rays, and then barely went five against the Twins and Royals. Has allowed 20 earned runs combined in those last four starts. Angel, I'm going to ask you this. Like I said, the Astros did not have a lot of success the first time that they had met him in Houston. What's going to be the scouting report against Dylan Seas? Where are the Astros hitters are going to look for? What are they going to find? What is Alex Centron and Troy Snitker going to, you know, tell the guys? And, you know, what's the scouting report on this guy? I would say be ready to hit the fastball. I was looking into the Twins and Royals matchup. I was curious because – those are teams that went off on him when, when, like he's been doing pretty good. And something that I saw, he's been leaving the fastball in the middle of the plate. And the sliders that he's been throwing are all balls because his plan is to make you chase, like being fastball and make you chase. So if we can lay off the sliders and take advantage of mistakes, especially with that fastball, um, the Astros c- c- could, turn, c- could turn this game around. Um, again, Dylan Cease is always, again, like you were saying, he's an, he, he's an amazing pitcher. So, the Astros job is to just keep that trend 
going in the like in the wrong direction for him. So again, take advantage of those fastballs that are out over the plate and lay off the sliders away. Yeah, I'm gonna shout you out actually. So we're talking about shout outs real quick. You did pinpoint that progress, not even progress report, scouting report against Shohei Otani. You said that they needed to take pitches. You know, that Otani throws a lot of pitches. That's what the Astros did. And they made him work the count, you know, left the hanger for Maldi. Maldi did what he did right there. 98th career home run for Maldonado. We even mentioned that in that game. But go ahead. Yeah, I don't know you want to say yeah. something. I actually saw um, some of the RBIs that the Astros got against Otani were on 3-2 counts. So, again, I hear you saying, like, working those counts as well. Yeah, definitely. That's what the Astros are going to have to do if they're going to want to do better this time against Dylan C. So then Sunday's matchup, one ten start time. You have Hunter Brown on the mound with a 3-1 record, 3-23 ERA versus Lucas Giolito. He is 2-2 two two with a 3-59 ERA. Hunter Brown. He has been shaky these last past two starts, and we have said it before. I mean, he's, he did good in the month of April, but this May has not been him. So last outing at, at, uh, against the Angels, four and a third, nine hits, four and runs, one walk, three strikeouts. Like I said, his outings in May have not been the best. And the only two starts right now in May, he's 0-1 with a 6.23 ERA, Combine those two starts, eight and two-thirds, 13 hits, six earned runs, six walks, seven strikeouts. That doesn't sound too good, especially with the fatigue of the arms that the Astros have in the starting rotation. No Jose Arquiti. That's like we said, he shut down Luis Garcia with Tommy John surgery. They're going to need a lot from Hunter Brown this year if the Astros are going to go back to the promised land and try to win another World Series. So my question to you is, them last two starts, they haven't been the best for Brown. Are teams starting to figure out what he's starting to pitch, what location, things like that? Are they trying to, you know, are they now getting it together about this rookie? It could be, but what I've been seeing is more command issues. Like, let's go back to April 26th against the Tampa Bay Rays. He's been pretty good at mixing up pitches. He threw eight, he had eight strikeouts there, 43% sliders, 32% knuckle curves, 22% fastballs, 3% spitters. Now, as I was looking at the chart, those pitches were pretty well located. Like, he was hitting more of the border, like, right on the black of the plate, even that he was locating. Like, he did leave some mistakes, but they weren't really taken advantage of. Now, let's go back to his May outings. Um, May 2nd against the Giants, he had four strikeouts, five walks. He did, again, they do a really good, uh, like, a really good um, game plan of mixing things up. This time it was 35% uncle curves, 33% fastballs, 30% sliders, 1% spitters. But again, command was an issue. He's leaving sliders, fastballs, and uncle curves in the heart of the plate. And when he's getting to 0-2 counts, 1-2 counts, like the pitches that he's missing with to try to get him to chase aren't pitches that aren't enticing to um, hitters to chase. And then let's go back to his last outing against the Angels. Again, three strikeouts, one walk, Fastball for 47%, sliders 28%, knuckle curve 22%. 55% of his pitches for strikes were in the middle of the zone. Like he threw 55 pitches for strikes, and most of them were in the middle of the zone. So, again, command has been an issue for him. He's leaving a lot of things that are basically in the person's wheelhouse, like in that perfect plank, uh, in in that perfect form of their swing. And if you can get his command right, um, 
he should t- he should be able to turn things around. Like for example, five walks against the Giants and then only three strikeouts against the Angels. Like whereas compared to against Rays, he had no walks, eight strikeouts. Like that's mm-hmm. I'm sorry, one walk, eight difference. strikeouts. Yeah, huge difference there. So again, it's just it's just a command thing. If you can get the rhythm, like maybe like a little change the grip or something of the ball, you know, or find like see what he's doing. Like if he's not finishing or his arm slots not where it needs to be. Like, I feel like if you can look at film, see what he's doing wrong, he, uh, he can be able to turn things around. Yeah. He, he's going to have to find a suit. Like I said, because the Astros rotation is depleted right now. I mean, Framber Valdez and Christian Javier can't do everything for the Astros. They're going to need somebody to step up. And right now it has to be Hunter Brown. If the Astros are going to want to get to that first place level with the Rangers. But on the other side of the mound, you got Lucas Giolito, uh, his last outing at KC, six innings pitch, five hits, two earned runs, two walks, nine strikeouts. He did pitch against the Astros in that championship weekend. Five innings pitch, five hits, three runs, two of them being earned, one walk, and six strikeouts. He has a four-pitch arsenal being the four-seamer fastball at 48.8%, the slider being 27.7%, changeup 21.4%, and the curve being 22 So obviously the curveball is not going to be a big difference in this game. It's going to be the four-seamer, the slider, and the changeup. Uh, 93 average fastball, 83 average slider, and 80 average changeup. Most hitters, when they face Lucas Giolito, have success on the changeup. So 311 opponent's batting average with that pitch. I guess he, he has a tendency to leave it up in the zone and not you know underneath the knees of these batters. But another thing with Lucas Giolito is he loves pitching at home. He loves the south side. He loves being there. It's going to be the key over there for him is to pitch successfully well against the Astros. He has a 137 ERA opponent's batting average at home, 145. Three earned runs at home while allowing 16 earned on the road. That is a big, huge difference. Then, you know, obviously 16 and three, that's a big number right there. Uh, 203 Woba at home. And as well, this is going to be the key for the Astros lineup because your your big hitters like Jordan, you got Kyle Tucker, maybe Jose Abreu. Giolito has only allowed one home run at guaranteed rate field this year. And that's 10, I think it's 10, nine or 10 appearances that he has had this season so far. So, it's going to be key if Jordan or Tucker or even Pena or somebody to hit a home run in runners in scoring position to give the Astros a lead or even a victory. But that is the preview real quick on the hottest hitter. I only found one. And that guy is Luis Robert Jr. 10 for 23, two home runs, five RBIs, four walks in the last seven games with a 435 batting average, 567 on base percentage, and an 826 slugging percentage. This guy is good. You know, go Glover, rookie. I, I believe he won rookie of the year too. I could be I could be wrong, but he has speed. He has power. I mean, this guy's a five-tool player all around. And the Astros are going to be having to make sure, I believe too, he is the leadoff hitter for that White Sox lineup. They're going to have to take control of him just like how – starting pitching, and really the bullpen did for against you know players like Shohei Otani, uh, Julio Rodriguez, Mike Trout. They're going to have to do a really good job against um, Luis Robert Jr. I just went blank right there for a second. 
Okay, so thank you so for telling us the pitching matchups now. It's time for the offensive pitching MVP and our hot take. I went, I feel like I went two for three. Mauricio Dubon was uh, my hot take. He, he, he gets a hit every game in the series. He was hurt, but he did get, in the two games he did play, he did get two hits. I don't know, would you count that? Did he get a hit in the first game? Yeah. Yeah, I'd count it. Well, because you know the third game, you can't do nothing about it. You're you're out of the lineup. Yeah. But at least the first two, you 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 know you were able to get it for sure. And my pitching MVP was Javier. We just talked about you know we just had him out. Corey Jokes was my um, offensive MVP. He didn't really do much. Um, I believe he got one hit in the series. Mm-hmm. So you know, hopefully uh, this time my offensive MVP can pick it up, and that is Alex Bregman. I think with any change stance, you know, his uh, his adjustment is going to uh, be pretty big. We'll see him probably get a few more hits this time around, maybe even a home run, hopefully. My pitching MVP is JP France. You know, let's just keep the trend going. He had a good first outing, and he looks pretty good. Like, for example, when we played Seattle, we played, uh, we played against Miller. He had a pretty good first start and then had an excellent second start, so... I'm hoping for the same thing. You know, guys haven't been adjusted to the stuff yet. I haven't really seen them, so hopefully catches them off guard. And then my hot take is Hunter Brown rebounds and pitches five strong innings. What do you mean by strong? What do you mean by, like, one earned like, run baseball, zero earned so run basically baseball? To, give, uh, it, like, give it to me. So basically, like, to get a quality start. So like, like, in order to get a quality start, you need six innings six pitched innings. and three runs or less. So he'll pitch five strong, three runs or less. Um, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm going for. I, I like it because he has been giving up a lot of earned runs. He did give up his first home run, I believe. No, I don't know which game was it either the Seattle, not Seattle, the Angels or the San Francisco game. I, I, I believe it was the Angels game because it was Hunter Renfro that hit that bomb mm-hmm. to dead center. But good takes, good picks. Let's go with mine. Jose Bray is going to be my Ooh. offensive MVP. Yes. Told me every time. Astros fans. Astros fans have not liked to hear Jose Bray. Everybody's a huge Yuli stan. I mean, I get it. Yuli Gurriel was a fan favorite, hitter, uh, fan favorite here in Houston. But at the same time, too, it's a new era of Astros baseball. I mean, we're still ready to reign and things like that. Jose Bray is going to be fine. I mean, I've preached this and I've preached this and I've I mean, I've been saying it all along. He's going to be fine. It's too early in the season. We saw the stats already on him being a slow starter. Relax. It's it's going to take some time. Maybe it starts being at your, ho- your old field in Chicago that you've been playing for nine years in a row, winning a rookie of the year, winning an MVP, being an all-star over there. Hey, let's reminisce some of the memories, and maybe he gets back on track and – Goes from there with the Astros doing a great job. So I think he'll be a huge factor in this series being back over there in the south side of Chicago. My pitching MVP, I'm going to go with Brandon Bielek. I think he's done pretty well his last two outings. Of course, you know, having to step in for Luis Garcia in that first one. And then the second appearance, didn't do a bad job. I mean, 10 hits, yes, that that's, that hurts a lot. But only giving up two earned runs with 10 hits, I think that's a pretty decent job in the office. It's just the offense wasn't there for him. So I believe... Brandon Bieler is going to be my pitching MVP and my hot take. I did it with Jerry Pena. Jerry Pena didn't get the home run over there in Anaheim. But I'm hoping, I'm, I'm hoping 
Jose Abreu hits his first home run. I think this is my third or fourth time being on a hot take with a home run for Jose Abreu. So I think this is the time that he hits his first home run of the season. At, third time to charm. Yep, third time's a charm at his old ballpark. And I think it'd be good for him get the monkey off his back. It'll be a good thing for Astros fans. And I think the home crowd of, you know, being there at Guaranteed Rate Field is going to love seeing their first base, you know, their former first baseman back in that ballpark. So. I have a question. You think Jose Abreu uh, gets a standing ov- ovation? Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, come on. I'm, this guy has done a lot for them. I mean, he helped them take them to the postseason, which has hardly been done. I don't know when's the last time. Last time I can remember is 05, of course, with that World yeah. Series against the Ash. Nobody wants to remember that. <laughs> but yeah, I, he deserves one. Nine years MVP, like I said, All Star Rookie of the Year. I, I feel so, like it, he deserves it. So speaking of that, um, so he's gonna start off with a strike then, because we saw Bryce Harper get a standing ovation and get a pitch clock violation because because of that. So I think so did Cody Bellinger as well. So. <laughs> Take it. It's all right. Maybe he's a good hitter and with the 0-1 count. You never know. But moving on to around the league, and then this is another fun one. Like the Orioles, we know they have that water chug celebration, right? And now they're adding more to the fun. So the Orioles made this new bird bath celebration. So when someone gets a double, they do the sprinkler move, and the dugout starts spitting out water. You know, they get the little bird bath for sure. I like it. Get it. Get at it though, so I mean I like it. It it brings the energy to the game. It's fun. It's you know it's entertaining. Cause that's you know and it gets the crowd involved. You know like yeah. next thing you know I won't be surprised if when it when the orders get double the fans are doing the sprinkler as well. You know hopefully like, they ain't spinning water at no, at, and the other fans at, and everything like, like that. Yeah, like at other fans, but you know the sprinkler move that like instead of the wave or something like that, they do the sprinkler move. That'd be pretty cool. But we kind of talked about this. Uh, in this last past podcast, but London is calling. Phillies and Mets will play an MLB series in London next year. This year, the Cardinals and Cubs on June 23rd and 24th. And then they, they announced that the Astros and Rockies are going to be in Mexico and then possibly the Dodgers and Padres in South Korea. But my question to you is, which one would you attend? Or like, which one would you be more interested in, in attending? I want to do a London one. I don't know why. I think the Europe, I feel like it's fun to be over there in that side of town. Uh, you got soccer over there that's big and huge, and they're trying to expand with baseball. I think it'd be a cool opportunity to go see a London game over there on a soccer field, I believe, too. I, I think what? they're playing on a soccer field. Um, my question, too, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll ask for your, you know, which one you'd like to attend. But, you know, to add on another question, why is the Astros are not playing against like to the Texas Rangers or, I mean, I guess Seattle Mariners is a rival all of a sudden. I mean, why we're not having a rivalry? I mean, they, you just announced Cardinals and Cubs this year. Phillies and Mets is a rivalry. That's a rivalry I just announced right there. And then the Dodgers and Padres. What? Come on, what? what the Rockies are? <laughs> they are not our rivals, but um, you know what? What do you think about that? And then tell me which one you like to attend. You know what? I hadn't even noticed until you pointed it out. I mean, I yeah. was reading it off and then. You know, like, I didn't think much of it, but that's crazy. I don't know. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Like, I think just because they're in Colorado, like, maybe the, like, the Hispanic prices there is pretty high. So, you know, just, or, like, they're a well-known team over there in Mexico. So, like, especially the Astros, since they're in Texas and Houston, it's close to the border. So, they kind of, you know, are very, they, they have a huge Hispanic and Latino following. And 
I mean, I've never been to Colorado. Like maybe I would have. I would have thought Arizona would be a good yeah, one because of Arizona the. Would have been a good one. If you've seen their City Connect jerseys on their, their names. It's I a mean, Spanish. Yeah. yeah, it's a Spanish name. So I thought that would have been one. But you're you're missing the key one. What, what which one you're attending? You know, Mexico's always a party. So I'll say Astros and Rockies, like. But like, <laughs> like it's just a good time. You know, like there's a bunch of places to see, do, especially Mexico City. You know, like. I feel like it's always a party over there, so Mexico for sure. Nice. But and then Orlando might be getting a baseball team. I don't. I don't know if you heard. Um, the Orlando Magic co-founder Pat Williams is pitching a 1.7 billion stadium across from SeaWorld. Their names will actually be the Orlando. Like if they get the bid, the Orlando Dreamers. Um, I like are hoping to lure. Like to get an MLB expansion team or the Tampa Bay Rays. Like, honestly, in my opinion, and I'll ask for your thoughts right now. I don't, I don't understand why Florida needs another baseball team. Like, the Miami Marlins are struggling to get people in the seats. Tampa Bay Rays are now pretty getting people in the seats, like because like they're winning. So. I mean, the stadium looks nice. I don't know if you saw like the little things, like an all enclosed area. Like, and it's pretty, like it, it looks pretty nice to get like people going. But I feel like I don't know, maybe like Las Vegas or Nashville, like like someone that needs a baseball team, you know, would better be helpful for that. But what are your thoughts? I, I can't believe you like the stadium. I, I mean, credit to them. I do the indoor stadium. I'm I'm a big fan of because Minimates like that, Globe Life Fields like that. Um, the tropes like that as well. I agree too. On the other hand, with you saying another Florida team, I don't think needs it's necessary. I, I'd rather have the Tampa Bay Rays move to Orlando because Tampa, the city of Tampa, is not cooperating with the Rays organization about building a new stadium or something like that in the St. Petersburg area. But the stadium, like when they showed the little, you know, the the map of it, how it would look, I don't like it. It looks like a mall. It looks like literally an it indoor does. mall. It does. It, it does. And it, I don't like that. The indoor facility for the ballpark, I do like that. But making it look like almost like a mall, it just doesn't look right. But another another thing, too, the Dreamers. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, was like, I don't. That's, <laughs> that's like, not a big name. Whack. No, but that's. I'd rather dream on another name than that. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I can't do that one. Orlando Rays, maybe that's better, but. Orlando Dreamers, man. Yeah, we got we got to find a different name because that does not go with the state of Florida. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. Um, but Kenny Jansen, does that name ring a bell? Dodgers, Braves, right? Joins mm-hmm. an exclusive club. J- Jansen becomes the seventh pitcher to record 400 saves. He joins Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, Lee Smith, K. Rod, John Franco, and Billy Wagner. My question to you is: Is he a Hall of Famer? I think he is. I really think he is because I've I've made my point about Billy Wagner in the offseason. I even had wrote something about him, too, deserving to be a Hall of Famer. But, I mean, Kenley Jansen is a World Series champion as well. Uh, 2021, he was a big help for the Braves bullpen. Of course, the Red Sox are hoping for more for him. But being 400 saves, I think that's a, that's a big notch to get into Cooperstown. And the only one right now is... Billy Wagner, I think John Franco as well is not in the Hall of Fame, but he has 400-plus saves. But he doesn't have enough stats to be qualified into the role of a Hall of Famer. 
But Billy Wagner, I, I, you know, being unbiased, being, you know, not an Astros fan or anything like that, I think he does because his ERA, his whip, and all this other stuff. I mean, I've just too much at the top of my head. I can't remember, but I, I think Kenley Jansen will have his name in Cooperstown, especially if Billy Wagner gets in. Yeah, that's my take. Like, if Billy Wagner doesn't get in, then there's no need Jansen to get it. Like, Wait, which Billy Wagner is really close. If you think about yeah. it, I think he has two more chances on the ballot. I think and it was at, what, 73, 71, I believe? I think he was just under 70, I want to say. Oh, just under 70, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, he's right there at the plateau of 75%. I mean, if he could, like I said, if he could get in, I think Frank, uh, guys like K-Rod and what you call its name, Kenley Jansen, the one we're talking about right now, I think they have a great chance of getting in. Yeah, I I, I, I agree. But again, if Billy White is out there, then there's a strong case that maybe Kenny Jansen doesn't get in. But... Mm-hmm. The thing about baseball and what makes it so great is that anything can happen. There's always, like, I feel like every time you go to the ball field, something special happens. And we had another special night. So we have the first Colombian to hit three home runs in a game. The A's rookie, Jordan Diaz, becomes the first Colombian to hit three home runs in a game. He did it in New York against the Yankees. Like, I feel like there's no better place to do it without the spotlight that New York gets and stuff like that. So he doesn't sleep. Yeah, and he did it. It's just surprising. Like it took that many years when we had, when he had, we have had some great Colombian hitters such as Edgar Renteria, Orlando Cambrera. That they hit two home runs multiple times in their career, but they could not get the third one. So, pretty special night, especially since he's a rookie. You know, maybe the A's have something go, uh, especially with that player as well. Yeah, I think it's really special. Edgar Renteria is always a good player. Growing up, I remember seeing him and that stance, that unique stance he's always had. I thought that was very cool. Um, of course, you see the highlight of him hitting that game winner against the Yankees, I believe, in that I don't know which World Series it was. Mar- oh, no, no, it wasn't the Yankees. Marlins and Indians. He was the one that hit that game-winning hit to give the Marlins their first World Series ever in their franchise history. So I think that's pretty special. Three home runs in a game, like you said, especially in Yankee Stadium, which – I mean, a high-marketed team over there. New York's a big baseball city set like, you know, like L.A. Very good for him to do something like that in a special place in New York. But that is all the time we have for our show for today. Uh, continue to follow us at Full Seam Heaven on Twitter. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube as well as TikTok. Platforms that we have, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you know where to find us. But, Angel, do you have anything else before we sign off? No, just thank you for listening to us and, you know, share share our podcast with your friends, family, you know. Um, we appreciate all the support. Yeah, spread the news. Like the Yankees of Sinatra had said, start spreading the news like that. But we're not Yankee podcast. We are a Nationals podcast. We will talk to you at the conclusion of the Chicago White Sox series and see you guys. Peace. <laughs>